morning everyone and would you look at that it is month 12 out of 12 which means that this is the highest rated month in all of the year welcome to your december episode of banter banter manny what cool achievement did i just unlock on my playstation box 390 for making it 12 out of 12 months Oh, you're so lucky. You actually got a hold of one of those. I've been looking for a while for restocks, but it seems every time that the local EB stop gets a new batch of them, they're gone in seconds. I just found a guy and I scalped him for it. Wait, that's not the that came out all wrong. I found a scalper and then I scalped him. Wait, no, sorry. He was a scalper and then he died. By causes not created by me. That makes complete sense. That's how I got it at a great, great low price of 990 Warbucks bucks. Oh, sweet. Did you get them from Daddy Warbucks? I got them from Baby Warbucks. They're not quite as effective as Daddy Warbucks bucks, but they're Warbucks. Except they're not tracked because Daddy Warbucks thought he just gave them to Baby Warbucks and just forgot about it. So, we are here to, once again, provide all of you with more insight and kind of a look back into shopping trends. If you were to be taking your time machine and going back maybe a couple of decades, to then be prepared for everything that is coming your way. I was thinking, especially after Thanksgiving popped around, kind of taking up on some of the discussions we were going on about before we did the special, is that the way we shop has really, really changed lately. Especially if you think about how it was, let's say, if you were an 80s kid, or if you're any of our other generational predecessors, Gen X, and so on. You grew up in a very different shopping environment than what we're dealing with today. And I kind of wanted to touch on a few of them. Yeah, unpack this, man. I'm reverse Pac-Man this because I'm super interested. I had a few buzzwords pop into my head as you mentioned the evolution of shopping and commercialization and marketing. And that buzzword was Cyber Monday. So let's unpack your conversation here. Yeah. Sort of to start off is if we go a few days before that Cyber Monday, we have what has been so generously termed as Black Friday, which tends to fall in line with how a lot of businesses feel like they are going into the red as far as their profit charts leading up to that point. So this holiday, Black Friday, is only called that because. It was the big sale day for companies to get their 
budgets back in the black? Right. Whenever you have two colors of ink and you use the red to denote bad, absolutely. I feel like they should go with super cyan blue. Super cyan. Because it sounds so much better and invokes power amongst people. Well, yeah, if it came out of Al Roker's mouth. There's probably lots of things that went in and out of Al Roker's mouth. (laughs) Food and drink and words. You determine which direction those went. Going back to the whole tradition of Black Friday is that when it really made its biggest impact was when... We had physical stores before the popularization of online shopping and delivery programs came in. We always had this weird ritual, which still happens nichely at our brick and mortar shops. But when shopping culture was predominantly in person, it was what I would call at times all of the worst parts of humanity or... Maybe it just seemed worse because it was for something so minor and built around a festivity of goodwill and good nature, leading to just such a mass panic and essentially an unarmed war for whatever was popular at the stores at the time. People would get a hold of information ahead of time about what was going to sell and what was going to be heavily discounted and they would often gather at storefronts sometimes days before obviously cutting into thanksgiving because black friday happens the day after thanksgiving at least that's the way it started and they would just camp out sometimes for a few days before and just wait and lines would circle buildings and The moment it was time to open for those sales, it was just pandemonium. I'm sure this is stuff you could find on YouTube if you want to search for it. So you're telling me that as conceited and self-centered as Americans are, during a holiday directly meant to be one of thanks and giving and helping out the less fortunate than you, the underprivileged, Americans became more self-centered and violent over these things? (gasps) Color me cyan (laughs) with shock and surprise because there was probably a run on cyan ink cartridges. Jerks. Now don't use all of that up because then you won't be able to print even black and white. No! I'm going to say there's a little bit of maybe mysticism, almost mythology built up around those days where it hasn't been too uncommon from peers in my generation. So I guess other millennials and then some Gen Xers that will pine for the days when they could go to the mall and do their Christmas shopping there, kind of a rose colored tint over the memories I legitimately think that there's a little bit of adrenaline and maybe serotonin that gets released in the process of shopping, going into a store knowing that what you want is probably sought after by dozens, maybe even a couple of hundred people who are going to the same location, and then being one of those people to get it. It kind of feeds that almost primal animalistic hunter reaction 
Oh, totally agree. It's kind of a leftover from biological survival mechanisms that one could theorize are from the earlier days of our species. Yeah, and those attitudes or those leftover things that we just can't shake are probably the things that are feeding into a lot of the aggression when it comes to acquiring those hard-to-get resources that are not actually important, but we've determined that they're important because of commercials and capitalism. And I think it's also another add-on. If you look back in the movie world, there have been a bunch of holiday-themed movies that are intentionally directed at the commercialism of Christmas. You look at that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where his goal as dad was to get his son that new hot robot. And if he didn't come home with that, his world was going to be ruined. Everything. Absolutely trash. The fact that the whole plot, the whole plot of the movie is acquiring this one robot toy. You get an hour and a half of pure commercialism. And some low-key violence because it's a kid's movie. Because you want to know who helps drive sales? Kids. Why do kids go to the movies? Because their parents want them to stop talking about the movie. Which really doesn't help because then they see the movie and they talk about it more. As some might say, they just don't know how to let it go. That also brings up another part of that that I think ties into some older primal mechanisms that maybe we could do with identifying and gaining a little more control over it or maybe channeling it into something that ends up in a lot less trampling injuries or altercations at a store. Totally understand. It also comes with that with that whole thing, like you're saying. It's sort of an issue of status because you know that this toy isn't exactly going to make your child live or die. No. What it is, is it gains their adoration. And not only that, is you hope that they'll express that adoration and that other people will be aware of it. It's okay. I did see someone die for not getting a Tickle Me Elmo doll. Oof. They died emotionally inside. And with that, it sort of spreads out towards the way other people perceive your ability to provide these things and give your family, your children, your loved ones your friends, whatever they want, it feeds into your perceived status in society. And tying it to that animal mechanism, status, as long as you maintain it, it feels like it entitles you to a better pick of the spoils later, or at least a perception like, this is your place, your place is higher, because you managed to get this. Because all of this struggle happens during those harsh sales, but by the time Christmas comes around, it's more of a like, oh yeah, that was no problem. Here, I got this for you. No sweat. I didn't punch out two elderly women and three teenagers to get this. You should always punch out at least two old ladies with the beehive blue hair and three children holding lollipops. If you haven't, you haven't fulfilled your Christmas violence quota. And therefore, you will not get your status upgrading gift acquisition during this time. You gotta offer up something to the holiday gods through violence to get your holiday gods cheer. Right? That's how the Hallmark movies work? Exactly. 
you be evil and you get just rewards, right? You see, the ancient god, Nikolai the Generous, he feeds off of the energy of excitement and joy that people get whenever they open a gift they want. So, essentially, in order to feed him and keep him from seeking other, maybe more negative emotions, like, let's say, fear from being slaughtered, we try to appease him, because the more people there are on Earth, the larger his hunger becomes. So we need to keep shopping, and we need to keep giving gifts that generate this excitement for holiday morn when people open their gifts, so he can lay satiated in his nest of wrapping paper and ribbons. You're either going to satiate him, or you're going to satiate Krampus. Oh yeah, the Kramptopus. Nobody wants Krampus to be happy, because he shows up during the Christmas season and scares children who have misbehaved. He's basically the wrapping paper Nestler's sidekick. He will toss you in a bag and beat you with a stick. And he's pretty grumpy looking and a generically horrible person. Maybe that's it. Maybe the violence is you paying the toll to Krampus so that you can get good old jolly St. Nicholas to wrap and swaddle himself in all of your empty wrapping papers. So, that was some trappings that, you know, obviously we still see some stragglers of today. But, unfortunately, we couldn't stop the tide of Sugar Daddy Bezos from forever changing the way that we do and expect companies to do shopping as a service. He's made a very good job of it, but I will say, at least on my light research, the idea of Cyber Monday definitely isn't connected with our Big Daddy Bezos bucks. It's sort of a balance to try and cash in on the same hype as Black Friday but also miss it when they still cared about not trampling too much on brick-and-mortar locations, which I think, honestly, maybe people look fondly upon kind of in the way that you can still talk to older generations about going to Blockbuster to rent movies. Ah, yes, I used to work at a not-Blockbuster company. But yeah, the Cyber Monday came at the behest to also try and get in on that pre-holiday goodness without muscling in on Black Friday. I would totally agree, at least based on the light researching I did. It seems that Cyber Monday came into existence as a term and was used on November 28, 2005, in a shop.org press release entitled Cyber Monday, quickly becoming one of the biggest online shopping days of the year. I think that is the full title of the article. I think you've kind of nailed it. It was created to garner additional sales revenue for the holiday season leading up into Christmas on a key day without trampling the brick-and-mortar Black Friday process. But also, I think, kind of tying itself into this unintended difference of equality as If you don't have the internet, you can't Cyber Monday, right? Right. So you're sitting in a time where a lot of things aren't open, or 
you have to work a regular nine to five on that Monday after Thanksgiving Day time off. Right. Maybe you're one of those people that honestly deserve better, but are being called in by their bosses to stock the shelves and get ready Wednesday night preparing for the sales that you have to clock into work for around noon on Thursday, entirely missing Thanksgiving if they hold it as dinner in your family, which I guess is fine for one thing. But since I can't find a better place to put this, I understand if you don't celebrate a particular holiday, but a day off because the company says it's for whatever reason is still a day off if they're going to pay for it. So especially if most of the country tends to say, oh, so many places of business shut down because of this holiday. And if I'm not particularly of the persuasion to also worship such a holiday, I enjoy the time off. So I'll take any day off. You mean the holiday gifted to all white collar companies and anyone in the service industry is basically screwed. Unfortunately. Gotta love commercialism. Along with that, also a lot of your food establishments have to open up because... People want to go out to eat, and that's probably great money or horrible money because those people are, like, pinching those pennies. And side note, ladies and gentlemen, look, before you sit down at a restaurant to eat, Ask yourself this one question. Are you willing to provide a proper tip at this restaurant? If the answer is no, don't go to a restaurant that requires tipping. Don't punish them for that. It's not their fault. They're just trying to do a job. On a day that they could probably not be working, and they would rather not be working, but they don't have a lot of choices. The profession they are having to work is not a judge of their character. Treat them just like you'd want to be treated if you were in their shoes. They are just trying to make a living. They're not the person that cooked your food. They didn't ruin your burger. It's not their fault. Don't punish them for it. But since we were moving on to the online shopping, according to the timeline from this article I looked up, there seem to be traces of e-commerce that go back as far as 1969. But I will say, at least in my crop growing up, I'm going to say I didn't start seeing online shopping being widely adopted up until around the 2000s. Yes, there was some in the 90s, and you could absolutely buy stuff on eBay. There was a huge boom for, I think, Beanie Babies that made eBay a lot of money. But it was definitely around the 2000s where people were warming up to the idea of, oh, well, there's this store I like shopping at. They have a website. I can buy stuff they sell without having to go there. How convenient. Yeah. And then, of course, we have the aptly named Amazon, who the amount of sales and package shipments they've created could, maybe indirectly, I don't know where they source a lot of their paper and cardboard products, but ironically, Amazon the company may be a root cause why the Amazon jungle will probably not make it too much longer. Amazon transfers the Amazon to being part of Amazon. For a few small down payments from your monthly paycheck, we too can bring some of that Amazon rainforest to your doorstep in the form of cardboard boxes. Would you like to join? <laughs> I think 
definitely since then there was a major shift. That's when you started seeing a lot of retailers struggle and you had a lot of your first casualties to it. Obviously, malls had been on the decline since the 90s started, but that's when they really started to feel it. Yeah, they had a lot of those smaller businesses that took a bigger hit in comparison to, say, your Macy's or your Dillard's, where they sold such a variety of things that Amazon, at least at the time, wasn't in on when Amazon started kind of branching out in 2005 with their online services and purchasing processes and becoming strong in that market. A lot of the stores that kind of caught wind of how the shopping landscape was about to change, they were already adapting. And a few of them maybe jumped on the train a bit later than they should have. For example, the big W, Walmart, kind of jumped on that bandwagon a little bit later and they hurt for a bit over it. It seems like they are doing an excellent job of exploiting their workforce and obtaining questionable quality products to tighten their belt and climb back up there. They know how to pinch those pennies. Absolutely. But it does seem, for any fans of the Walmart out there, it seems like they're doing better than they have been in recent years. So they're an example, more to say, of companies that maybe took a bit of time to identify that shift was happening. And not everyone made it. I want to throw this joke in because I feel like this is appropriate for the current conversation. Steve Carell's main love interest in the movie 40-Year-Old Virgin. The woman is running what I feel is a reverse process of this brick-and-mortar converting into e-commerce. She has an e-commerce page on, I think it was eBay, but she had a physical location. And this guy comes in and is like, I would like to buy these shoes that you have. And they're like crazy disco shoes or something wild like that. Yeah. Her response is, oh, you have to go online to buy those. And he's like, but I'm right here right now and I would like to buy them right now. She's like, no, you have to go online to do that. But why? <laughs> don't, don't do this to me. I want to buy your product. I'm here and I want to buy it. Yeah. That is something that became kind of awkward, definitely, in the transition was it took a lot of us to kind of have to sit there and adapt our own mindset. And that's actually a perfect transition to... I suppose the next phase of shopping that I wanted to talk about, and that is over the last year, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of us were definitely forced to, at the very least, rethink how some of our day-to-day -day necessities, and particularly at this point for anyone with the funds for it, how to handle the privilege of buying stuff for entertainment. and that has really heavily shifted the idea further and further away from the old brick and mortar. And yeah, while some places have opened up a little and people are going back to the stores and everything, it's definitely made these shops realize that they have to consider options like order this online and then drive up to the store where they will load it up into your vehicle for you or just entirely 
switching to relying on that e-commerce, order it, and at some point your parcel carrier of choice will deliver it to your door. Now, I want to point out that because of Amazon and its delivery system currently, one of their main subcontractors, in a sense, is the U.S. Postal Service, because Amazon can't always get those packages to all of the locations because of distance of the drive, and they subcontract some of this work to our U.S. Postal Service. So I want to say thank you for trying to keep a government-run business functioning, because we need the U.S. Postal Service, despite what anybody else tries to tell me. Oh, and let's remember for a moment that the U.S. Postal Service is something actually specifically mentioned in the Constitution, so it's not necessarily supposed to produce money, and whether or not it is profitable is not part of the deal. It is not a business. It is a government function. I'm sorry, Manny, I need five minutes. I have to pick up my brain off of the walls now that it has exploded. How dare you blow my mind with the U.S. Postal Service? Unacceptable, sir. Unacceptable. I must put my monocle in and get a very tall top hat and an expensive white shirt to complain about this. I guess, actually, since if we want to do a little bit of history, when the Constitution was ratified in 1789, the Postal Clause, which is Article 1, Section 8, gives Congress the power to establish post offices and roads, and to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for executing that task. We're not a governmental podcast, and I'm not here to really get on my high horse, but I figured this was a good time as any to point out that this particular part of our shipping processes and everything, it kind of is in the Constitution, folks. It's not, it doesn't say the government can open up this business and have it be profitable. There's not a lot of things that are profitable, especially if we're trying to be good human beings. Now. If we want to be an evil corporation, we just have to look at Blizzard on how to become profitable. Yeah, there's a lot of the games industry we could probably jump on the bandwagon about. Or we could just point you to some other podcasts that also rail against the game industry so we don't have to do it. Maybe that parallel universe version of us will pop out someday, maybe it won't. Back on track, though. It... There was definitely a shift in it, but something else I wanted to focus on that was brought on over the last year or so was the pandemic affected a lot of industries, not just the burger restaurant or the big box store down the road that you like shopping at. It kind of slowed down a lot of the gears that bring stuff to those places. And by that, I mean manufacturing Uh, across the globe was slowed down and that put a damper on shipping and distribution of products. It messed up the supply chain, which meant that for some items, it became harder to come by them. For example, think of the great toilet paper shortage, because as soon as there was enough of any of these products, but the moment people heard that there might be a shortage, 
that skyrocketed demand and ensured that we would run out because the supply chain made sure that it couldn't get put back on the shelves quickly enough. I want to pose two counterproductive theories to each other. America is full of selfish people and people that are willing to take more than they need. And those people went and purchased way more toilet paper than they needed, thus creating a shortage for the rest of us because they took more than they actually needed because they were feeling and acting entitled. Second, I think a lot of our goods and services, now that there is such a short delivery date and turnaround on orders, that they've stopped mass producing and building up a stockpile of said product and do more what's needed in the next week to produce, which caused an issue when the demand skyrocketed because they didn't have a lot of backstock to compensate and they couldn't necessarily increase production to meet said demand fast enough. On top of the generic issues we were having with COVID and social distancing and being good human beings to not infect others and make them die. When you focus that back in on the supply chain, you're absolutely right, where it seems like it would have been prudent to ensure that there was the supply for it. But that does bring me down to something that you focused on at the beginning of your short rant here. And that is that we still have that issue with short supply of stuff where a lot of people who were able to managed to figure out kind of exploitative ways to get programs that would bypass a lot of the traditional safeguards that websites would have by accessing pages at a much faster rate than it's even possible for a human to check pages for stock of an item and then just toss as many as they're allowed to into the virtual shopping cart and ship them all to themselves. At which point they would await their shipment and, well, sometimes before even that shipment happens, they would go and post on eBay for a handsome two to three times markup what they just bought with a bit of software that they were using. So just imagine that this noise is the indicator of me pretending to be Kermit sipping on a cup of tea. So you're telling me that our hackers and ticket scalpers who've manipulated Ticketmaster for getting all the tickets so they can sell them at a higher price turned to regular commercialism? Who would have thought? And while I could hear some of the excuses brought up that a lot of people were getting in on it to make up for the money they would have made for losing their job during the pandemic, I kind of feel like it stands up too well because ultimately what it's doing is it's putting a tax on everyone else. Basically, their argument is... Look, I should have done this because I lost my job, but we won't let gas stations do this when there's a major issue or storm surge or something. They can't price gouge, but I can. 
but I should deserve to price gouge because I lost my job, so I should screw everyone else over too. But also, similarly to that, there were more than a fair amount of people that were price gouging who absolutely had the means to make it fine through the pandemic, who also had the funds to split this one out, who chose that it would be better to try and make a quick buck off of one of the greatest events. And by great, I don't mean good. I mean, like, largest events that will probably be taught in history class for a very long time as a terrible time. It is definitely something that is going to stick into most people's minds that were over the age of 10 for these years. This will be a very significant time frame. Yeah, and basically made it rotten for everyone else who either was just trying to get enough to continue their lifestyle despite the fact that they were going to have to stay locked indoors or just to get some form of entertainment or enjoyment to spend the long hours that they were going to have to indoors. Again, I feel that I was privileged enough in that by nature I'm a shut-in, so I don't require a lot of social interaction. And I did already have tools like a laptop and a webcam so I could video chat with my friends, and I adapted to that eventually. But there were people who didn't have that kind of scenario where maybe they require more social interaction and this was a bigger shock so they had to adapt they had to find hobbies and stuff to do and they were getting kneecapped by some dude who borrowed a piece of programming to clean out the entire stock of video cards for computers and now this person basically is left with a phone to do any sort of computing and video calling thus making their lives a little bit harder in an already bad situation. Yeah, we had some very dangerous individuals and companies maximize the profit scheme during this very dangerous event. And they're still doing it. To leave it off on that note, we just thought we'd get on what I feel is our traditional soapbox, especially since Aaron is out. He's not here to keep us from getting on top of that soapbox and posting a video on TikTok of us falling miserably while trying to stand on it. I do like putting myself in danger for a TikTok video. But in short, folks, thanks for dropping by. I know this was a little bit more dour, but we're mostly here just trying to remind you that it stinks if you can't buy the thing you wanted, and we're not saying at all that you don't need it. What we're saying is, coming up to the holidays... If you can, enjoy the company of your friends and loved ones, and remember that it's that friendship and family bond that is what is really important. And I know you hear that a lot in the billions of Hallmark movies and whatever, but sometimes that's all we can hold on to. Just bask in it. Remember, there's at least a handful of people out there that really just wanted your company. Sometimes the best gift is something that comes from the heart and not an object purchased at a store with a large price tag. Signing off for the last in-studio episode of Banter Banter, if you could give the gift of our podcast to a friend, 
rate us, smash that like subscribe button, and I think instead of a question, Mike, give us your quick shot off the hip idea of the best and worst gifts you could receive this holiday season. Best gift, money, finding out how to take weight off of my body and just give it to someone else without paying a doctor for liposuction. Worst gift, giving me your extra weight that you don't want because I don't want my extra weight either. Second worst gift, don't have one. I accept clothes at this point in life. But you should just give me the money, and then I'll buy the clothes, because you probably don't know my size. Oh, we got a bonus on that one, huh? Well, for me, best gift is something that, from the gift-giving friend or family member, either means something or can be considered an experience that me and that other individual can share together later on. Ideas being any film, board game activity. So Jackbox set seven. Got it. Locked in. A memory that either we already had or one we can make together in the future. Worst gift, diabetes. Oh, uh, I think I got the beaties. So, ladies and gentlemen, I know this has been a rough last couple of holidays, but Remember, just keep on trying, and just be sure that while you're out there sharing cheer with families that may include strangers or not, if you're out in public, put on that mask. Wash your hands. And if you haven't, wanna, you know, shoot a little of that vaccine up in your arm. Don't worry. We put those 5G trackers in some other animal medicine. So you won't be on fire. Don't ever be on fire. See y'all next year. It's all, folks. Come chat with us about the episode by reaching out to us on any of our socials. You can find us on Facebook at Banter BanterCast or on Twitter at Banter underscore cast. You could find Manny at Brogar, C-R-E. You could find Aaron at 8BitWizard. The 8 is Roman numerical. You can find me on Twitter at Mike8Time, the number 8. The podcast cover art is brought to us by at EasyLuizy, based off of original artwork by Bobbin underscore Goblins, also on Twitter. The opening and closing are from The Most Mysterious Song on the Internet. Help us figure out the mystery of who this belongs to.